This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22, my favorite verse of the whole Bible. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, don't throw any rotten tomatoes at me. And I only joke because I think everyone here is a regular tender of Mosaic Church, so you get my humor. If we had some visitors, I wouldn't have said that. Uh, Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. Thank you for allowing us to go through this series of questions the church should answer, that people are asking. And so, Lord, we ask that you help us, because there's this thought out there that Christianity denigrates women. And, Lord, we know that that's not true. And, Lord, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying, and help us to be obedient to your word. And Lord, help us to be open to your word. Lord, I say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we have been talking about uh, questions uh, the church should answer. And and we've talked about, you know, suffering. Uh, We've talked about um, marriage. And we've talked about um, hell. And we've been talking about hell in small groups uh, last couple of weeks. Uh, our guest speaker did a fantastic job last week. Uh, ben and his wife, Brooke, are awesome. And so we're just trying to tackle some tough questions. And so we, two weeks ago, we started out, does Christianity denigrate women? And I went through a whole, uh, I won't repeat it, but we talked about how things went awry in Genesis. Uh, God's perfect plan didn't... Uh, uh, Something happened, and we had uh, rebellious uh, humanity uh, trying to do things their way. So as we look back, uh, we saw that uh, in Genesis 3, things went horribly wrong. The disobedience of Adam and Eve breaks that humanity relationship, the relationship between them, and of course, the, the relationship and fellowship that we had with God. And so rebellion was not part of God's original plan, original design. And I've been sharing with you that God has been, uh, I've been reading the Old Testament. Uh, if you remember, if you were here like six weeks ago, we talked about reading the whole book. You know, can, that was one of the questions. Can we rely, is the Bible a book that is reliable? Is it, is it really true? And we tackled that question. And so let me encourage you, read the whole Bible, not part of the Bible, not just the Psalms, um, not the chicken soup for the soul Bible, uh, Bible. How many ever had that one? I know my mom had it, yeah. Uh, so 
if you just read that Bible, you're not going to get a full picture. You know, so you, you need to read the whole Bible. And uh, if, if reading is difficult for you, I found that uh, listening to the Bible uh, through, you know, an app or a program, um, maybe you guys have a CD out there. I'm sure you can get a CD at, at Goodwill, the whole Bible and CDs, or cassette tapes, but who has a cassette player? And so, but what I did was I listened and I read uh, at the same time. And so it's important that we get uh, the whole picture and we can see uh, sin in its fruition. Uh, you can see it throughout the Old Testament that this appalling treatment of women by men and vice versa. It went both ways. In the, in the Bible, we can see stories of murder, rape, exploitation. And I said this two weeks ago. It's important that what we're telling you is a, a description of what happened. But it is not a prescription of what we want to see happen. Does that make sense? I, that's one of the things I love about the Bible. It doesn't... Uh, it doesn't filter out all the bad things to somehow give us this only um, good stories and positive stories. It, sh- it, it shows us everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so I want to tell you, and I want to make it very clear, the Bible does not endorse what it reported. It just is representing something realistic, a picture of humanity and how we went awry and how we treat each other. And particularly in how people, as humans, have wielded power. I'm also reading another book on the history of America, and I've been reading, it's The Eleven Nations of America. It's very interesting how different people groups, had, when they were colonizing the United States, how different people groups uh, came and, and, and settled in certain regions. And so there's a lot of regionalism. Still to this day, there's still... Uh, that culture that still bleeds to this day. Uh, one of the things I've learned about the Appalachian Mountains and where most of those people came from, which is, I think, Scotland and Ireland. And so you have that, or the Pennsylvania Dutch, the German Dutch, you know, the, uh, the Quakers and all that, and how uh, it was very interesting in how our nation was developed uh, by certain 11, 11 different people groups. Um, I'm only on number seven, so I don't I mean, I know the other ones, but I'm still learning. But it's very interesting how humans wielded power. And sadly, some of them wielded power thinking that they were following uh, the Bible, the gospel. And uh, as we look back, we can see that that was not the case. Uh, Isaiah 54 says, Your maker is your husband, declares the Lord of hosts. And we talked about, in the Bible, there are many parenting metaphors as God the Father, and sometimes like a mother, but always in marriage, God is always the husband. It's never the wife. And so part of metaphors is that it helps us get a grasp, a picture uh, of who God is, and it helps us with theology, because it'd be very difficult to describe uh, an invisible, transcendent, ungraspable God. So there are uh, analogies or, or um, metaphors. So we talked about, and then we talked about how Jesus constantly uh, uh, was relating with women in a culture that would have been anti-women, or at least not elevate them, and all through 
the Gospels, we can see how Jesus elevated and talked to women, ministered to women, weaved. And every time he was doing a miracle, it seemed like he went from uh, healing, uh, doing a miracle with, with a, a man, and then right after that with a woman. So it was like women were just as important, and which was very countercultural of the time. You would think if it was just a cultural book, they would not mention any women. But Jesus, all through the Gospels, uh, talks about women and, and, and especially very, I think, encouraging in a male-dominated culture that Jesus was living in. Jesus is constantly threading women in the story. It's, it's threaded all through the Bible. And so it's really interesting, and I thought that was very encouraging. So... Um, Jesus, I love, not only just talks about women, but he elevates them as moral examples. Remember, uh, when Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to come, and this woman disrupts the party. Many of you know the story so well. Because she, uh, with her tears, wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. She, uh, she uh, wipes Jesus' feet. She anoints him with uh, oil. And, and Simon is appalled. And he says to himself, if Jesus really was the prophet, he would know that this woman was utterly unworthy of touching him. But Jesus flips the coin on its head and holds the woman as an example of right, a right example and to shame Simon in his poor example. And in that day, Simon had every advantage. He was religiously admired. She was despised. He was a man, she was a woman. He is the host, and she's the party crasher. Simon is sitting at the table where only the dignitaries of the home would sit at the table. And what is she doing? She's lying on the floor prostrate. And some people would say embarrassingly so. But according to Jesus, she surpasses Simon on every account. Then later on, we can see in Luke chapter 21, Jesus commends the poor woman with her gift. The widow woman with her gift was something that we would emulate because what she did exceeds the much larger gifts of the rich who are putting in the offering bucket. So we know, and I'm not going to repeat the whole thing, but Jesus weaved everything, women, into the story. So let's move forward. I won't be able to finish. I think there's a party afterwards. Is that right? Something about that. Uh, so what are we going to say, what are we going to do about Ephesians chapter 5? Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as you do to the Lord. Um, I can, I'm jokingly, but not jokingly, sadly, I have, um, I've misused uh, that verse. Uh, a lot of times in joke, you know, with my, my wife, but um, she didn't think it was funny. So, now, I love this. When the ma marriage metaphor is presented with humans, marriage in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, it's, it feels, especially talking to my uh, friends, um, strong Christian friends, women friends, it feels like this verse, 
Wives, submit yourselves to your husband. It feels like, um, you know, I've not, seen the whole, I've not seen the whole movie or have not read the book, but it reminds me of almost like, um, like a Harry Potter snake uh, that's, you know, oozing out some sort of curse. And it's, it's, it's mist, you know, it's got a misty fog curse. And that's how it feels if we just look at it on the surface that wives submit to your husbands. But if we look at it differently, I'm wondering if it could be different. I know this is hard for our culture, and I'm asking you to please bear with me. Uh, throughout the years, I've had uh, many friends in ministry. There are women, and this subject matter would come up from time to time. And this is something that's hard for them to grasp. Again, I, I asked a friend of mine uh, female friend to share on this subject matter, but uh, the timing just didn't work out. So I've talked to many of them, and it's been hard for them. The, the word submit to your husband just is tough. And I'm not going to ask anybody to say amen, uh, but I imagine there would, there would be some amens. It feels like something we should reject. Now, uh, for those who are old enough, uh, I have a feeling ski would recognize or remember John McEnroe. And John McEnroe was famous for these famous words. He would say, you got to be kidding me. And he would have a little tantrum. You could look it up. It's hilarious. He would have his little tantrum and say, you got to be kidding me. And so when we read this verse, it has that flavor, like, you've got to be kidding me. So I see three problems with the verse. Uh, that I'd like for us to tackle in the next five, ten minutes, and then we'll continue on uh, probably next week. Because we live in a world where men, uh, women are as competent as men. Amen? I've met many, many. At least, like, seems like every woman I meet here uh, is, is super competent. I know of many of people that are uh, that are leading organizations and and leading groups and, and even and churches. It's just amazing how God has blessed um, these women to just lead amazing ministries. Uh, I wish I could be like them, and I'm being honest. My Chi Alpha boss, uh, her name is Stefa, and she's a phenomenal leader, and she's uh, at the executive office in Springfield, Missouri. So um, we live in a world where it's not like it was a couple hundred years ago where um, women were capable, of course, but they weren't allowed to be as competent as men. So I think it's really easy for us men to say this verse, but it may not be so easy for many of our women friends. We would think, though, God was saying, whomever has the best decision-making skills would lead the home. So there's a struggle I have with that. The second one is the issue that says that women should submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. I think it's one thing to submit to Christ. And I've had this conversation with my wife. It's one thing to submit to Christ, but, you know, Christ the self-sacrificing king. It's a whole other thing to submit to your fallen, broken husband. And you know this because I've shared this many times with you at the, as a church. I try to be uh, as transparent as possible, healthy as possible, is that um, 
I've not been the perfect husband at home. I've definitely not been a person is, uh, I haven't behaved in a way that would be worthy of my wife, Robin, just to submit to me. I gave her lots of reasons to uh, reject that. The third issue or the problem is of men being the head of the wife is it has a flavor, taste, and I imagine, you know, in talking to my friends especially, they would say, it, to go against the equal status that we just talked about of image bearers of God. Like, if God made them us equal, then why am I supposed to submit to my husband? And so I, I get that, and it makes sense to ask that question. So on the surface, the scripture seems very counterintuitive, or definitely counterculture, our culture of today. But when we read the Bible, I want to encourage all of us to see the, what I would call the power inversion. Now think of it, the inversion. So when we see God, the creator, Jesus, our king, what does he do? He lays down his life. When we look at the scriptures, we don't look at poor people with disdain. They're not looked down upon. And we could also see that later on that even the outcasts are part of the family. They become family. So it's important that we understand and we see the power inversion. Then we, some people struggle, and I understand this, that we read the Gospels, and Jesus elevates women to equal status, and then Paul comes around, the Apostle Paul, and comes down and pushes them back down. Many have tried to use the Greek and try to make the word say something it really doesn't say. Some people have tried to say, that well, the word submit appears only in the previous verse, to submit to one another out of reverence of Christ, but uh, there are other words uh, that confirm and, and say to submit one to another. Ephesians 5.21, you, you would think it talks just about mutual submission, but the command for wives to submit occurs three times in the New Testament, Colossians and 1 Peter. Now, before us men get too excited, I want to challenge us. Because I want to challenge all of us, women and men, to put on the glasses of Christ, to view this scripture in, with Christ in mind. So when we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the question, which is funny, I mentioned this verse this morning to Robin so we're going to be preaching about this. And she goes, make sure you preach the whole verse. Is uh, how did Christ love the church? How did Christ love the church? As husbands, uh, we are to, it says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So Jesus gave us husbands a model to live for. So number one thing we know and we talked about during communion is that Jesus, number one, was willing to lay down his life on a cross. That's pretty powerful. He took his rights and laid them down and 
was nailed on the cross. A second thing, I look at Christ loving the church. He gave himself completely willing to suffer for the church, willing to put the church's needs above his own by sacrificing everything, his life for the church. Sadly, too many of us men have twisted this verse and they've asked their wives to give themselves completely, to suffer and to be willing to put their husband's needs above their wife's needs. And somehow we've flipped the script. And I'm talking to myself as well. We have flipped the script and we've asked our wives to do this. I know I look back and I have many regrets. Um, we talked about regrets yesterday in our Bible. But I have many regrets. Um, and I'm not saying this as an excuse, but, you know, we learn what we see. And what I saw modeled before me uh, was not healthy. Was, <laughs> I only laugh because if I don't laugh, I'll cry, right? So I got to be careful because I know that my mom will watch from time to time. About six years ago, my mom had uh, fell and she broke her, her hip. And um, so I went to visit my mom after she had rehab and all that. And so she came home and she's uh, using a walker. And then when I, when I got to the house, my mom was using her walker at the stove. Like three days after she came back from rehab hospital. And she was at the stove making dinner for my dad. And my dad was just sitting at the table. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I laugh now, but I'm like, this ain't right. My mom literally can barely walk, and, you know, she's, you know, they got a gas stove, and she's trying to fry something, and uh, my dad just sitting there, you know, reading, reading the word. And uh, so this is basically how things were modeled to me. My mom, my mom sacrificed everything, her life, her, her, her youthful life, her body, um, her, you know, all these things, which in some ways I thought was, Biblical, it just seemed to make sense. But when we put on the lens of Christ, it wasn't right. Now, not to throw my dad completely under the bus, my dad didn't have a dad. You know, his dad died when he was 12, uh, 10 years old. So my, my dad's, how he learned was from the streets. He was a street kid from, from uh, Ecuador. My mom was an illegitimate child. She was an unwanted child. Actually, when she met my dad, uh, she was living with her grandmother because nobody else wanted her. And so even my mom didn't understand a good, healthy, uh, understanding diet of Scripture, of her worth in Christ, the example in the Scriptures. So she didn't know. And I think one of the biggest challenges us, for our family, my siblings, is, you know, why did mom stand up for her rights? And as I look back, I don't judge her with my standards today, but I look back and I realize my mom just didn't know any different. And instead of just judging my dad, it's like, and although the Holy Spirit and the scriptures should have, but it was like uh, they were bent 
like the cement had set on how a husband and wife should, should uh, relate to one another. And it was not healthy. And I'm telling you, and I'm being honest, and I know we're on YouTube, and I wish we weren't. I'd rather just be talking to you. Is that, sadly, some of that, um, some of that continued on with me. You know, I joke around that I wasn't there for the kids when they were crying in the middle of the night because I was sleeping on my good ear. Um, and I use that as an, ex- as an excuse. But in reality, as I look back, that, that was not a good excuse. I should have been loving my wife like Christ loved the church. So I, I didn't really sacrifice that much uh, raising the kids when they were infants. I didn't have a church pastor to tell me what I was doing was wrong. And you don't really have a church pastor to tell you that you're doing things are wrong because you haven't, we don't really have that kind of relationship. Now, you, I'm telling you now, but uh, unless you really say, I'm going to take it to heart, that accountability we don't really have. And so we have a lot of, all of us are being raised without ever really being challenged. And we live in a culture where if we are challenged, we don't like it. You know? You know, when's the last time you had someone actually say to you in your face, a brother to a brother or sister, like, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And that you would allow them to say that. So that's why I think it's really good that you're here at church. Now, I know we have some people who are watching online and they have no other choice but to watch online. But if you have a choice, I, I was talking to our, our Live the Life leader. It, to me, if you have a choice and you, you feel like, okay, it's a safe place to go as far as with the, with the pandemic and all, and I get that, but it's almost like voyeurism. It's almost, it's, it's got a taste of, um, of just, it's, it's not real. What you see online is not real. When you come to church, you might rub shoulders with somebody you don't really like, and the Holy Spirit's gonna challenge you right then and there. Or maybe you're working downstairs and a kid has a, a, a temper tantrum and God's gonna challenge your, your attitude, how you respond or someone does something wrong or somebody spills something on you here. This is life, as best as we can have life. Uh, you don't get any of that at home. I'm watching on YouTube. So I appreciate you being here, but we, are, we don't really challenge one another. So I was not challenged as a young husband. Now, what helped me, what helped me, and I'm not saying I'm, not, I'm, I'm far from perfect, was asking the Holy Spirit to help me. To ho- preaching helps me. And I shared this about teaching. I, did not, I don't want to be a, a false pastor, a hypocrite. So I want to live out what I'm preaching. So when we talk about forgiveness, I got to, I got to live it out. When I talk about treating people with, with dignity, I got to live it out. When I talk about loving my wife like Christ loved the church, I've got to live it out because I want to honor him. I'm off script, but let me just challenge you that my parents were, they did the best they could, but it was not healthy. Does that make sense? I mean, it's not healthy when your, your dad's sitting at the table and his wife is, barely can walk from, and she's at that time 80 years old, 
uh, and he's making sure she has to cook the dinner. That's not what Jesus did for the church. So I love my dad, but uh, I'm trying to learn from him as well what not to do. So too many years we focused, and I'll go about five more minutes, we focused on the words, wives submit to your husbands, but not focused enough of husband love your wife like Christ loved the church. So when you put on these lenses of Christ on our eyes, things begin to make sense. Why? Because both husband and wife come to the table of Christ in the same manner. Broken, face down, asking the Lord to help us. We cannot come to the Lord's table as men because, hey, I'm a man, I can, I can come with some sort of pride. No, we both come to the table of Christ broken and humble because Jesus is calling us to submit to him. So when we put on that understanding that Jesus is calling us to submit to him, and, that, and we talked about this earlier, that God created marriage sex as a telescope to give us a glimpse of his galaxy-sized desire for relationship with his creation. And we can see that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Ultimately, my marriage is not about me. Now, yesterday's conference was the non-Christian generic view. And I, I wanted to say something, but I didn't. But your marriage, your fulfillment does not just come from your spouse, because that's what they were saying. It comes from Christ. Our fulfillment and identity comes from Christ. And the most important thing is we need to see that marriage is not just about me and my needs or my wife's needs. It's not just about us, although that's what we talked about this weekend. It's really about him. Our marriage gives people a telescope into who God is. So we live in a world that's just drowning in some culture of somehow that sexual uh, romance is real life and that it, you're missing out. Uh, you single people who are Christians, you're missing out. Um, and uh, uh, young people, you're missing out. And everybody's missing out. I've got this incredible book that's in there. The title is really bad. And actually, when I got it from Amazon, they put a big sticker on it to cover it. I said, Cheap Sex. Uh, it's about our culture, how they've just, I mean, uh, talking about f flooding the market. You know, when you flood the market with dollars, you just devalue the dollar. You just devalue. Gas prices is not just because it's more expensive to get gas. It's just your dollar is worth less. And we live in a culture that uh, the value of sex is just so inundated, so flooded our culture that, and you can get it anywhere, anytime, any place, that it's just devalued it, and it's sad. It's a very sad, that, that our culture is, is on the wrong road. Anyway, when we live in a world that tells us that real life is, is about sexual uh, romance and fulfillment, and if you're not sexually active, you're missing out, I'm here to tell you the goal is being in Christ. And that should encourage us for uh, those who are single. We're not, single people are not exempt in enjoying life in Christ. And I'll end with this story and I'll finish later on. I, uh, there was a boy, it's a story, I think my friend 
Ken Velarde told me this story, but there was a, uh, a boy in a candy store, and uh, the older man said, hey, Johnny, not, not older man, it's like, like somebody in their, in their 20s, said, hey, Johnny, you're not going to believe this, but there's something better than candy. And Johnny's like, what in the world could be better than candy? As a seven-year-old, what could be better than the candy store, right? And of course, he was talking about sex. And, and Jesus is going to tell us is that, hey, hey, adults, there's something better than sex. And you, you and I are probably thinking, what in the world could be better than that? But there, there is, and it's a relationship in Christ, finding our identity and our fullness and purpose and wholeness in Christ. So as we pause the sermon, and we're going to talk about Ephesians chapter 5 a little bit more, I'm praying that all of us begin to put on the lens of Christ when we read the scripture. And I'm going to challenge us men next week, what does it mean to love our wives like Christ loved the church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day. Um, thank you for uh, challenging us and challenging me. Lord, help me not to continue uh, some bad patterns that I've learned from my parents who probably learned it from their parents, who learned it from their parents and learned it from their parents. But Lord, help me to put on the lens of Christ. And Lord, help me in those areas that are not glorifying you in my relationship with my wife. And Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would come and convict us and Lord, not only just convict us, but Lord, that we would have the, the spiritual fortitude to change, to confess our sins, and change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for our, we just pray for our little kids this morning, we pray for our kids downstairs, that they would emulate us as adults who are living for Christ. Lord, I pray that nothing we do would confuse them and give them a wrong picture of how to treat our spouses or how we have relationship with Christ. Lord, help us. Help every woman, help every man in our church so that we can, our lives can be a telescope and people could see the goodness and bigness and the love of Christ because of our lives and our marriage lives. Lord, thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.